Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. If you've ever tried to assemble furniture without the instructions, you've learned this. Doing the right thing the wrong way is a recipe for failure. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how King David tried to do the right thing without following God's instructions with disastrous results. From The Tender Warrior, here's David to introduce today's message, God's Work, God's Way. How many of you know that God is not a pragmatist? God is not a God who says, I don't care how you do it, just get it done. We are pragmatists, most of us, but God cares not only about the result, he cares about the method that is used to get that result. There are godly methods just as there are godly goals. And today on Turning Point, as we continue to follow David the king, we're going to learn what it means for you to do God's work, God's way. This is part one of a two-part message, and uh, we'll get into the study in just a moment. But first, once again, let me point you uh, to the month of March next year, March 12th through the 22nd. We are headed to Israel for a tour of the Holy Land, and we're inviting you to come with us. We still have room. We still have hope that you will be able to do that. It's an incredible experience, one from which you do not ever truly recover. And uh, if you haven't had that opportunity, I hope you will take it and join us in March. We'll be visiting Jerusalem and Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, hosting a baptismal service in the Jordan River. We'll be in the garden where the tomb is, where Jesus resurrected from the dead. And we'll be in all the major sites in the holy city. Oh, my. We have such a tremendous time when we go there. And I hope you can join us. Go to davidjeremiah.org slash events. Get all the information make a reservation, and join us. Well, we have a lot to cover today, so let's get started with part one of God's Work, God's Way. There are many titles and names which are given to David. He was Israel's finest king. He was the shepherd boy. He was the giant killer. He was the sweet singer of Israel. But of all the names for David that I treasure and love, and I believe the name that characterizes his life more than any other, is the title that is given to him on several occasions when he is referred to as a man after God's heart. I have pondered what it means to be a man after the heart of God, and I believe that here in the chapter that is before us, we have at least one illustration of the desire of David to honor the God that he served. 
As you remember from our last study, David has been crowned as the king of Israel. In fact, he has been anointed three times for this position. Finally, after Saul's death, David takes the throne and he begins to function now as the monarch, the king of the land. After a couple of skirmishes with the Philistines, the first item on his royal agenda was to restore the Ark of the Covenant back to its prominent place in Jerusalem. Now we might think that to be a rather strange thing to have a priority position on the king's agenda. But let me remind you that the Ark of the Covenant, a piece of furniture which was designed by God, was the central place of worship in the tabernacle. It was the Ark of the Covenant that God ordained to represent his own personal presence among his people. In fact, when the Ark was created and designated by God, we read these words in Exodus 25, verses 21 to 25. Listen carefully. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above the Ark, and the Ark thou shalt put the testimony that I give thee, and there I will commune with thee from the mercy seat from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony. This piece of furniture, this ark of the covenant, was symbolic to the people of Israel and central to the God of heaven as representing his presence among them. And because of the way the Israelites worshipped, it was critical that it be in a place of prominence in the nation. And so David determined that the first item of the agenda of his kingship would be to bring the ark back and restore it as a rallying place for the people of God. Now the Ark of the Covenant had gone through some very difficult experiences in its history. For instance, during the time of the judges... The Ark of the Covenant was treated like, well, it was treated like a mascot. It was looked upon as a lucky charm. And the people who had no heart for God carried this thing around like we carry rabbit's feet sometimes, thinking that it would bring good luck to them. But God disdained that whole attitude and he mocked it and he ignored it, frankly. And the Ark was of no value to the people in those days. The Ark of the Covenant, as you know, fell into the hands of the Philistines. They actually took it. They took it and they did a citywide tour, a nationwide tour with the Ark and took it to all of their cities. And then in an act of defiance, they enshrined the Ark of the Covenant in the Temple of Dagon, their idol. In the book of 1 Samuel, there's some uh, very amusing stories about how they took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in the temple of Dagon. When they came in the next morning, their idol had fallen off the shelf and broken his neck. And they put it back up again and patched it up and brought the Ark in again. And once again, the idol fell off. And finally, the Philistines decided they didn't know what to do with this Ark of the Covenant. And they were going to get rid of it. Wherever they sent it, it brought disaster and destruction to the people. And so the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to the people of Israel. And as David comes to the throne of Israel, the Ark is in a city on the perimeter of the nation. It has been brought back. In fact, even the people of Israel did not know how to treat it. When it was returned to Israel, it was taken to a place called Beth Shemesh. 
And the people of Beth Shemesh, not understanding the word of God concerning the Ark of the Covenant, were curious and they looked into the Ark. And when they did that, there was a massive slaughter of the people because they had defied the holiness of God. The Ark, when David becomes king, is in a place near Kirjath-Jerim where it has been literally forgotten for over 50 years. 50 years have passed and nobody even knows where the ark is, what it's doing, what its response is, what its place of prominence is. In fact, in 1 Chronicles 13.3, we are told that during Saul's days, nobody inquired at the ark of God. That is significant because it is a testimony of what was wrong with the reign of Saul. But David was committed to making God the center of his leadership. And David knew that the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. And so he determined that one of his first acts as king would be to go to the forest of Kirjath-Jerim and get the Ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. We read about this now in the first few verses of the sixth chapter. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. We learn two things at the beginning of this chapter concerning the desire to bring back the ark. The desire to bring back the ark is brought out in two functions that took place during those early days of David's reign. First of all, this was a major project for David. Notice that he consulted all the chosen men, 30,000 of them in fact. And the Bible says that all the people were involved in this project. But not only was it a major project, it was a majestic undertaking. If you follow the scene, the Bible says that when David went to get the ark, he didn't just send some messengers up there to get it. He got all the people together. He had a huge orchestra and a gigantic choir. The ark is coming home, and David wanted everybody to be involved in it. Unfortunately, David's desire to bring back the ark did not preclude the fact that there was disobedience involved in bringing back the ark. And I want you to notice what happened. Two things that were wrong with what David did. At first blush, it sounds like everything's okay, but he did two things wrong. First of all, he made a serious mistake in that he did the right thing in the wrong way. You know, we live in a very pragmatic age, and we hear all the time people saying that it doesn't matter what you do, just do something. The end justifies the means. If you get to the goal, it doesn't matter what you have to do to get there. And I even hear that among Christians. But this is a record of one man's attempt to do the right thing in the wrong way and the disaster that came upon him because of it. You say, what was wrong with what David did? 
Well, the Lord had given very specific instructions about what to do when you move the Ark of the Covenant. God had said in very detailed instructions, if you ever move that piece of divine furniture, you do it a certain way. You do it that way every time you do it. Don't you ever move that ark any other way. If you have your Bibles, turn back to the book of Numbers and let's read the instructions. Numbers chapter 4. And just a few verses in Numbers 4 and one verse in the 7th chapter of Numbers. And I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Numbers chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. This is the task that is assigned to the Levites in the moving of the tabernacle after it was constructed. Notice verses 4, 5, and 6. This shall be the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. When the camp setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it, and shall put thereon the covering of badger skins, and shall spread over it a cloth holy of blue, and shall put in the staves thereof. Now what the Bible first of all says is that when it came time to move the Ark of the Covenant, they were to cover it with badger skin, then with a blue covering, and there were rings on the side of the Ark of the Covenant, and they were to take long staves or poles and insert those poles into the rings so that they would extend beyond the bound of the covenant. And the purpose for that is very clear as we move later into the text. Those were the poles upon which the Ark of the Covenant was to rest when it was carried on the shoulders of the priests. Now, if you have your Bible still open to Numbers 4, look at verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Now look at chapter 7 and verse 9, again of the book of Numbers. And it says that the sons of Kohath had only one responsibility in the moving of the tabernacle, and that was that they were to bear on their shoulders the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the will of God concerning the moving of the Ark of the Covenant had been clearly revealed. The Ark was to be covered, staves were to be inserted in the rings in its ends, and it was to be carried on the shoulders of the Kohathites. Nothing had been said about placing it on a new cart. That was human invention. That was contrary to the instructions of the Lord. David's desire was holy and his motive was pure, but his methods were wrong. He went about the right thing in the wrong way. Now, some folks don't think there's anything wrong with that. They think, well, hey, listen, just get there. Whatever you have to do, just get there. It doesn't matter what you do to get there. And among Christians and in churches and in seminars on methodology, we hear all the time that the goal is the only thing that's important. How you get to the goal really is inconsequential. But God says, I am just as interested in how you do what you do as what you do. Now, David made a second mistake. In his disobedience, he not only did the right thing in the wrong way, he asked the right questions to the wrong person. 
Now, if you go back in your Bibles to 2 Samuel again, uh, just go to the fifth chapter and let me give you some information that we haven't had yet in our study of David's life. I mentioned to you earlier that when David became king, he had two minor skirmishes with the Philistines. But before David went to fight against the Philistines, he did what every man of God ought to do. He went and asked God for counsel. In the 19th verse, we read in chapter 5 these words, And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up. I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David went up, he fought the Philistines, and he won. When that battle was over, another opportunity came to fight. Verse 23. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up. And David didn't go up. Now isn't it interesting that in the early days of his reign as the king, two times he has an impending war, and before he goes to fight, he goes and asks God. He says, Shall I go? And God says, Go. He asked him the second time, and God says, no, don't go now. This isn't the right time. David was very sensitive to what God had to say concerning his military affairs. But when it get time to move the ark, I want you to notice something. Once again, turn over in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles, which is the comparative passage to this record we are studying today. And I won't take you on too many more journeys, so just hang with me. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. David asks God when it's time to fight, and God tells him. But now he's going to move the ark. A very holy, solemn responsibility. Notice what he did. 1 Chronicles 13, verse 1. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land, and let's go get the ark. What did he do? Isn't that strange? When it got time to fight, he asked God. When it got time to move the ark, he consulted with the captains of thousands and with every leader. And you know what they told him to do? They said, David, go get it and put it on a new cart and bring it back. You say, where in the world did they get that idea? That's not in the Old Testament. You're absolutely right. And I can tell you where they got it. This is our last journey away from 2 Samuel for a while. But go with me back to 1 Samuel chapter 6. 1 Samuel chapter 6. And I'll show you where they got the idea. (laughs) David went to the wrong people with his questions. And they gave him the wrong answer. And they got their answer, believe it or not, from watching what the Philistines did. When the Philistines got upset over the Ark of the Covenant being with them and it was causing so much trouble, they had to move it. Now watch carefully, 1 Samuel 6 verse 1, And the Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. Jump down in your Bibles now to the seventh verse, and they're going to move it. Now watch how they move it. Now therefore make a new cart and take two milk kine on which there hath come no yoke and tie the kine to the cart and bring their calves home from them and take the ark of the Lord and lay it upon the cart. (laughs) Now listen carefully. David is doing the right thing in the wrong way. He's asking the right questions to the wrong people. He goes to these counselors who are not in communion with God And they tell David to do what they've seen the Philistines do. And David is now doing the work of God with the methods of the world. And it never works. It never works. 
So he's about to get himself into a lot of trouble. He is doing the right thing in the wrong way because he asked the right questions to the wrong people. And we're about to see the disaster. If you have your Bibles back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, notice what happens. And they're bringing the ark back on the cart. And when they came to Nikon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. Literally, the text says the oxen stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God smote him there for his heir and he died by the ark of God. Now, this is a a very strange thing. Some folks say, well, did the oxen stumble by accident? No, I don't think so. They are doing something that is abominable in the sight of God. They are taking that piece of furniture which represents the very holy presence of God and using Philistine methods to convey it. They're on their way down to Jerusalem and the oxen are caused to stumble. And when the ark is about to fall off the cart, Uzzah reaches out his hand to stabilize it. And as soon as he touches it, he's a dead man. Because the Bible says you are not to touch the ark of the covenant or you'll die on the spot. You say to me, Pastor Jeremiah, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, poor Uzzah, he didn't even know what was going on. He's innocent. Let me tell you something, my friends. When you disobey God, it is very probable that innocent people are going to suffer in the wake of your disobedience. And so it happened. The disaster took place. The anger of God was kindled against Uzzah, and he died. Now that brings us to the delay in bringing back the ark. Watch what happens to David. You know, David's emotions, and and I believe David was an emotional person. I think he was intense. I think he was a melancholy. I think he was emotional. And his emotions are like this. I mean, they're all over the ballpark. One moment he's out in front of the ark just rejoicing that the ark is coming back. The next moment Uzzah dies and David is stricken with panic and fear. Verse 8. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perizah unto this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? And he would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him unto the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And what David said was, Listen, I don't want that ark in my house. No way. That thing, you touch that thing and you're dead. And he was filled with fear. Let me suggest something to you, men and women. Whenever you disobey God, you have taken the shortest route from joy to fear that is known to man. When you're walking in obedience to the Lord, you can have the wonderful joy of the Lord in your soul. There's a lightheartedness and a simplicity to your walk. But when you start to disobey God, that joy is taken away. And in its place, there's kind of a cloud of fear that comes into your life. Instead of joying in the presence of God, you fear before him. And that's what happened to David. His joy is taken from him. In fact, isn't it David who wrote after his sin with Bathsheba? He prayed and said, oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He had lost it. Nathan the prophet had put the fear of God into David's heart. It's interesting to me that it is not hard for us to lose our joy if we disobey God 
it will always happen. Now, what is going to take place is this. Because David is afraid, because he doesn't know what to do, because he's lost his faith, he doesn't want the ark in his house, and so it goes over here, and it's delayed in coming to Jerusalem by three whole months. He doesn't get it for three months. Finally, we come to the fifth thing in this chapter, which is the delight in bringing back the ark. We're all full circle now. We're back to the emotion David had at the beginning of the chapter when he set out on this mission in the first place. And during the three months, we're going to discover David has learned some things that will help him to do the will of God in the way God wants it to be done. And we're going to join him tomorrow as we learn those things together. You know, there are a lot of people that do ministry very pragmatically. They don't care whether it's a God thing or not. They just do it to get it done. And God doesn't honor that. And we know that from studying this story in the life of David. Tomorrow, uh, the Friday edition of Turning Point, this will be God's Work, God's Way, Part 2. And friends, we are so excited that you have joined us today. And I want to take a moment and tell you about a very special magazine that we produce called Turning Points Magazine and Devotional. It's mailed out to literally thousands of people every month. And many beside that, well, they grab content from this. They get the devotional material downloaded into their email box every day. You can do that. It's free. We're happy to do that for you if we know how to do it. So you need to send us the information and just say, please send me the devotional content from the magazine. And then, friends, don't forget to join us tomorrow as we continue our discussion of The Tender Warrior, God's Work, God's Way. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. 
Two learned scholars of theology were discussing the world situation. One asked the other, how would you describe in just a few words the world's problem? The other scholar thought for a few moments and said, the world is broken. We normally apply broken to mechanical things, cars, lawnmowers, and things like that. But if we think about it, broken is an apt description of our world. In other words, nothing is working right as a result of sin. Fortunately, God is in the process of redemption and restoration. There is a new world coming. Our job is to be ready for it when it arrives. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's plan to restore the world on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.